You're listening to a podcast of Red Sea Church, a community of faith in Portland, Oregon, where our mission is to draw to Christ, develop in community, and deploy into culture. Uh, We are continuing in the book of Matthew today. Uh, We've wrapped up the, the Sermon on the Mount uh, Royce had, has done that over the last few weeks, and, uh, and the Sermon on the Mount ended in, uh, in the I- end of chapter 7, and it says, when, when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority, not as their scribes. So this large group of people who has been with Jesus up on the, sur- up on the mount uh, now follows Jesus. They are enthralled with his teaching and the authority of his teaching. And Jesus in our passage today is going to show them that he not only has authority through his teaching, he also has authority through his words and through his actions in being able to perform the miraculous, whether it is a, a healing of a sick person, the casting out of a demon. Uh, later on, we'll see examples of him having authority over nature and even him having authority over his own death. So our passage today in Matthew 8, 1 through 17 is examples of, of multiple miracles that are, that are recorded. Now, Whoever made the strawberry lemonade, by the way, thank you. Rebecca Chu, awesome job. Um, before we can talk about miracles, uh, before we can look at the passage, we need to spend a little bit of time talking about miracles because I don't know where you guys land on the miracle spectrum. Uh, there are kind of what I would consider two extremes to the spectrum, and this is the gospel according to Josh here. On, on one end of, of the spectrum are, are a group of people that, uh, that are called cessationists. And cessationists, uh, probably are, cessationists are people who, who believe that the miracles in the Bible, uh, God used them to validate the, the ministry of Jesus, to validate the coming of his kingdom, uh, and also for the early apostles that you see being able to perform miracles, uh, God used those to validate the work that they were doing. But since Jesus has died and has risen, and since the church has been established, miracles no longer exist today. So that is what a cessationist would believe. Uh, one of the more well-known cessationists in uh, evangelicalism would be John MacArthur. If you've read the John MacArthur Study Bible, uh, this is where he lands. And, and he has a, what he feels is a very strong biblical argument for that. But he would say miracles do not exist anymore. They have ceased since the first church apostles, but they're no longer necessary for the church today. So that's one end of the spectrum. On the other end of the spectrum, on the miracle spectrum, are people who believe that miracles are used today by God to validate His work and His ministry, but they take it too far because they believe that God only works through miracles. And so in order to truly follow God, you have to be you have to have miracles to evidence who you are. Just like the evidence Jesus and the early church apostles, if you are a believer, you will also be able to perform miracles. Now, these people, uh, if any of you guys were raised in more of a charismatic church, and an AEG church, uh, miracles are expected as a part of everyday Christian living. Um, and they're often many times forced or manipulated because if you have to have them to evidence your faith, 
then you need to make sure they happen on a regular basis, and they tend to be manipulated for personal game. So I'm going to throw a couple of names in this camp. You don't have to agree with me, but guys like Benny Hinn, uh, Kenneth Copeland, Joyce Meyer, or pretty much anybody on the TBN network, uh, you can kind of throw into the camp of miracles need to happen every single day as evidence of God working inside of you. Um, Me and I believe Royce, we would place ourselves in a radical center between those two groups. I know that's a shocker to you guys. Uh, But we believe that miracles were used throughout the biblical narrative as signs of God's work and evidence of the arrival of the kingdom, but also they are still used today for that same reason. Uh, And I'm going to go with Grudem, uh, Wayne Grudem and systematic theology. How can you argue with Wayne Grudem? Uh, This is where he would land on miracles today. Uh, He would say there's nothing inappropriate in seeking miracles for the proper purposes for which they are given by God. And this is what he would describe as the proper purposes of miracles today. To confirm the truthfulness of the gospel message, to bring help to those in need, to remove hindrances to people's ministries, and to bring glory to God. And this is what he says, miracles still happen, and Christians should avoid the two extremes of seeing everything as a miracle and seeing nothing as a miracle. So the miracles serve that purpose today. They also served a very similar purpose in the scriptural narrative in the Bible is what we're going to look at today. But many times, uh, miracles also serve a greater purpose when you're reading them inside the biblical narrative. The miracle in and of itself is pretty cool, but it tends to point to some type of a greater meaning, a greater purpose. Uh, I, was, I was reading an article called, Why Don't We See Miracles Like the Apostles, by a guy named Justin Holcomb. And here's what he says about miracles in the Bible. He says, miracles in Scripture are acts of God that proclaim His sovereign power over creation, as well as His commitment to the good of His people. Miracles are often significant because they serve a larger purpose in God's redemptive plan, testifying to the authenticity of God's messenger who brings his revelation to humanity. This is one of the primary functions of miracles in the scriptural narrative. When miracles occur, they give evidence that God is truly at work and so serve to advance the gospel And I would believe that is still true today for the church that has been established. So we at Red Sea, I do believe, I would say corporately, we've at least prayed for God to work miracles. Uh, We've prayed the prayer that the church does in Acts 4, 29 through 30. Here's their prayer. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal And signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. We have prayed that prayer many times here at Red Sea. And I would testify to you guys, as I spent some time thinking about it, that we have seen the miraculous here at our church. And my experience here at Red Sea over the last uh, seven years, I've seen healings from both physical and mental illnesses, such as depression and suicidal ideation, I have seen supernatural financial provisions for the church, for the work of the ministry, uh, money coming in from unexpected sources for the exact amount that we needed. Uh, We've seen miraculous spiritual gifts given, and the fact that the church did not possess the gift, we prayed for the gift, and God gave it to someone who previously did not have that gift. Uh, We've seen supernatural protection from illnesses. Uh, We were asked to... um, 
we, we were asked, we asked God to allow us to stay healthy from certain diseases that we were told that we would get. And uh, none of us got those diseases, although the people around us did get those diseases, which is really interesting. Uh, we have seen and been delivered from demonic oppression, uh, particularly in the realm of sexual oppression. Uh, these things are happening all the time around us. If we will look for them and we will ask God for them with boldness. Jesus says in John 14, 12, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. That's a pretty powerful prayer, isn't it? It's a pretty powerful statement. So the church being full of the Holy Spirit, which is something that the, the, the disciples before Jesus died and was resurrected, the disciples were not filled with the Holy Spirit like we are. Jesus promised a helper would come. That helper came upon them at Pentecost. And now we live with access to God and His power that the first couple of thousand years of, of, uh, of the biblical narrative did not have, that the prophets did not have, that the first disciples did not have, but the, the apostles that established the church, they were filled with this power. And it's the reason that we can see them perform the miracles. So we should, I would, I, where I kind of land on this is we should expect miracles as a church and we should be looking for them. So what if you don't see miracles? What if you're saying, you know, I'm open to it, but I've just, I've never seen a miracle. I feel like I do all the work. Uh, most likely, it's because you're not asking for it. Uh, remember Jesus when he was talking about the Father and what the Father gives? He said, ask, seek, knock. There's a persistency to pursuing God and his power that Jesus says, if we will continue to persistently uh, uh, ask for that thing and seek that thing, he will give it to us. So it's possible that we're not asking. Uh, it may also be possible that you're asking for the wrong reasons. Uh, there are several examples in the New Testament where someone asks for the miraculous for their own glory. Uh, Stephen is an example of that, not the Stephen that dies. Uh, but there's a, a, a story in the narrative about that, and it works out really badly for that person. Uh, and so I would either say, are, are you asking for the miraculous because you are trying to serve yourself, and maybe God in His grace is not allowing you to experience the miraculous because He knows that we'll get to your head, or, or possible we're not asking at all. Uh, so I think it is important for us as a church to ask because it's God that chooses whether He's going to do it or not. So if we're not asking, there's probably a good chance it's not going to happen. Uh, but, I, but I believe that we should ask. So that's where I land. I'm going to throw Royce into that camp. Uh, you don't have to land there, and that's okay. You can be a cessationist, and you are welcome in this church fellowship. Uh, you can believe that you're going to see miracles every single day, and you are welcome in this church fellowship. I don't believe it's a divisive issue in the church that we're going to plant a flagpole on and, and fight over. But, uh, but my position comes from the, what I see in the narrative. It comes from what I see in the Scriptures, what Jesus teaches about it, um, and what other guys uh, like Wayne Grudem um, and, uh, and, and other guys in that camp would also believe. So with that, that's kind of our, our uh, laying the foundation for our message today. We're going to look at Matthew 8, 1 through 17. I'm going to invite you guys to stand up and uh, read this passage of Scripture uh, with me. And then we're going to pray afterwards. 
Uh, Matthew 8, 1 through 17, uh, hear the word of the Lord. And when he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priests and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. When he entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And so my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you that many will come from east and west and recline at, the ta- to west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness." In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you and as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her. And she rose and began to serve him. That evening, they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons. And he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what the prophet spoke by the pro- this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our disease. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we come before you. Uh, God, I would ask for a filling of your Holy Spirit to be able to concentrate today on such a hot day, uh, to be able to understand what it is that you're saying in the scripture, Father. Would you not um, allow me to say anything that I shouldn't? Uh, Father, I want to stay true to your word uh, and to your story. Uh, Father, and so I pray you would just uh, open our hearts and our minds to the truth that you would have us believe today about who you are and the work that you have done and the work that you want to do through us. We'd ask this in your name. Amen. You guys have a seat. Uh, I believe that the miracles uh, in this passage serve to do several things. Uh, They serve to evidence Jesus as the promised Messiah. kind of to validate the messenger like they, many do, like they do many times in the, in the Bible. Uh, they also serve to meet a physical need of the person who has helped, which is also an important part of any healing. But I also believe that there is a more uh, subtle purpose uh, in this passage, in the miracles, because I believe the miracles in this passage say something significant about who is included in this kingdom that Jesus has just spent so much time talking about in the Sermon on the Mount. You will notice in the passage, there's three different people that represent a group of people. Uh, The first one that you will see is a leper, uh, someone who the religious leaders believed was a leper because of their sin. So they would have been a social outcast. Uh, There was a centurion who not only was a non-Jewish person, but is also representing, uh, he's not only a non-Jewish person who is therefore excluded from the kingdom, according to the religious leaders, but he's also someone representing the oppressing nation of Rome. And then lastly, you have a woman in Peter's mother, uh, Peter's mother-in-law, who at that time culturally was considered of less value and less worth 
than that of a man. So Jesus, later in Matthew, in Matthew 12, 28, he's going to say, but if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. In our passage today, the particular part of the kingdom of God that has come upon the people is its inclusivity. Miracles in the Bibles, like we read earlier, are many times a pointer to something much greater than the miracle itself because they serve multiple purposes. And we have to remember when we read the Bible, when we read a book, it was written by an author trying to make a particular point. Matthew has very purposely chosen these three examples to make a point. If you read this same account in Mark, it's a little different. The setting's a little different. So Mark is true to what Jesus says, but Mark is trying to make a point about the kingdom of God and who is included in this kingdom that Jesus is ushering in. The leper, the centurion, and women particularly, or the people who are ostracized in society. So what I want to do is just break down those three different groups of people and try to understand culturally to the people then what those three people represented. And then we can talk more about us and what it may mean for us as the church today. So the first person you see in the passage that comes to Jesus is a leper. A leper was someone who was unclean because of a skin disease that they had. Uh, They were not allowed to live among the people. The people were not allowed to touch them. They had to live outside of the city. When they entered into the city, whether they were going to offer a sacrifice at the temple or whether they were going to beg for food, they had to announce their coming. Leper, leper, so that everyone would would move aside and not become unclean because of them. Uh, This is probably the reason the leper was able to get so close to Jesus. Imagine there's a very large crowd following Jesus. Someone starts yelling leper and they part like the Red Sea. He walks right up to Jesus and he asks Jesus to heal him. Jesus touches him, which is really important, the touch, and he heals him instantly. But then Jesus doesn't just heal him. When you look in the passage, he then sends him to the priest to offer the necessary Old Testament sacrifice for healing from leprosy. Now, Jesus, according to the law, was not allowed to touch a leper because he would have then become unclean, right? But by touching the leper, Jesus is showing that he transcends the law. But by sending the leper to offer a sacrifice, he shows that he is then submitting to, the wall, submitting to the law. So Jesus, remember at this point in the Bible, he had not yet fulfilled the law. He had not yet died as a, as a substitutionary sacrifice and atoned for the sins of the people, therefore making the sacrificial system no longer necessary. So the significance of the miracle from a biblical perspective is it's a pointer to Jesus' priesthood that is later going to be fleshed out by the apostles. Paul's going to work through that in Romans. It's also going to get worked through in the book of Hebrews. So that's significant in and of itself. But I don't want us to miss the point here that by touching, by Jesus reaching out, what's up, buddy? By, By Jesus reaching out and touching a leper, he is showing who is allowed into the kingdom. The, the ostracized, the rejected, now have a place in the kingdom of God as equals with the children of God. 
So take that and kind of put it in your pocket. We're going to get back to that in a second. The second person that comes up to Jesus and asks for a healing is a centurion. Now, a centurion was a Roman soldier who was over a group of a hundred other soldiers. And that Roman soldier, when he spoke, he represented the authority of Caesar and the authority of Rome. So when he spoke, it's basically like Caesar was speaking and people listened. The fact that Jesus was even talking to a Gentile would have been, um, we'll use the word scandalous to the crowd. They would have been very offended that he was even talking to a Gentile. But the fact that that Gentile happened to be a Roman soldier would have been outrageous to the people. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, the crowd's amazed at the teaching of Jesus, right? Because it says he was teaching them with one who had authority. But he's talking to this centurion. That centurion is listening. And the response of this centurion is amazing. Because the centurion not only believes that Jesus' teaching has authority, but he believes that the words of Jesus have authority. When that centurion spoke, he spoke for Rome. And when he sees Jesus, he believes that Jesus is speaking for God. That he is God. And Jesus is astounded by this, right? No one else in Israel has this faith. There is no reason in the biblical narrative that we have ever seen or have any reason to believe that Jesus can speak and heal people. But Jesus does it right there. He speaks and the person is healed. So it proves that the centurion has an understanding of who Jesus is that the disciples at this time don't even understand. And it should be I think a test for us as a church, do we have that much faith? If a Gentile who was not raised in the faith, who is an oppressor of the nation of Israel, can see Jesus and know who he is, why can't we? If he could be that bold to ask of Jesus, why wouldn't we be that bold? We have such a greater understanding of who God is than the world, and it should be demonstrated in our actions. If we truly believe that we represent the kingdom of God and we are filled with the Holy Spirit and with the authority of God, we will be bold in asking of God. And there is nothing God can't do through us as his church. Jesus is going to stop And he is going to take the opportunity of the astonishment of the crowd and the anger of the crowd, and he is going to talk about who is allowed in his kingdom. You'll see this here in the passage. Jesus says in 10, when Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So Jesus, once again, he takes this opportunity to teach the crowd about the kingdom. The Jews who were surrounding Jesus believed, rightly so, that they would be blessed because they were the children of Abraham. This is what God told Abraham in Genesis uh, 12, 3, that he was going to bless his descendants and they would be a blessing to the world. So the Jews believed that their ethnicity guaranteed them a seat at the table in God's coming kingdom. 
Jesus then takes the opportunity to remind the people that to sit at the table with God is not about your ethnicity. There were many people in that crowd who would have thought that, that the Jews would be the only ones allowed at the, table to God, at the table of God in the coming kingdom. But if you actually read Genesis 12, 3, it says, In you, all families of the earth shall be blessed. Jesus says many who think they were in the kingdom will actually be cast into hell because of their bigotry and their racism. Remember, the doctrine of hell, according to Jesus in the scriptures, is used not to frighten unbelievers. It is a doctrine used to warn those who think themselves believers. That should be a reminder to us of who we try to exclude out of the kingdom of God who Jesus does not exclude from the kingdom. Okay, hold on to that one. Lastly, we see the story of the healing of Peter's mother-in-law. Peter's mother-in-law has a sickness, perhaps malaria. Uh, We see an immediate healing, which is important. It shows the power of Jesus. It's not he prayed for her and she she was healed eventually. She was immediately healed. She, She evidenced that by standing up and serving them, by being a good host, And Matthew makes the point, once again, that he touched her. To touch a woman who was not your wife would have been incredibly scandalous. But Jesus is showing that women are allowed into the kingdom, that they have much value in the kingdom, just like the leper, just like the non-Jew. We also see that after sunset in the passage, many who are demon-possessed are brought to him, Uh, The demons are cast out by his words, and many of them are healed and of their illnesses. And we will continue to see this happen throughout the biblical narrative, throughout the life of Jesus, into the work of the early, into the work of the early church. So the section ends with Matthew uh, at the end in verse 18. Matthew says, This, all this, what he had just seen, all the healings, it says this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. And then he quotes Isaiah, he took our illnesses and bore our disease. Matthew, like he's done many times in his book so far, is going to take the opportunity to to make the connection between an Old Testament passage and a promise fulfillment. Many times in the Old Testament, uh, things are, are said, there's prophecy, like in the book of Isaiah, and those prophecies are fulfilled in Jesus. Matthew has an aha moment uh, as he's reflecting back on this. And he sees a fulfillment in Isaiah 53, verse 4, and it's called the suffering servant in Isaiah 53. And I want to read it for you guys. It's going to be up here on the screen. Isaiah, Jeremiah, there it is. Isaiah 53, 4 says, Surely he has borne our grief and carried our sorrows, yet we esteem him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone, we have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. So in this passage, Jesus in his healings, is returning the kingdom of God to the way it should have always been. There shouldn't have been lepers. There shouldn't have been social classes. 
and there shouldn't have been chauvinism. And he is trying to return the kingdom back. That's what Jesus represents in his healings. But they're doing something much greater than that. And this is the point that, that Matthew's trying to make by using that Old Testament passage in, in, in Matthew. Matthew's making the point that the acts of healing are pointing toward a greater healing that's going to come for all of God's people through the cross. Just as Jesus demonstrates God's grace for all through healing anyone in need, he also demonstrates salvation for all to anyone who would repent and would believe. So when we see these passages in the scripture, we really need to dig in and really get at the heart of what's going on because it can be very, it can be much richer than just a person's physical needs being met. So now that we understand what the, script, the text is saying, we understand what the author is saying, we understand how the text points to Jesus, now we can ask the question, what does this mean for us today as the church? How does this apply for us today? And here's kind of, uh, as I've been thinking through it, uh, I believe that God wants to use us today, this church, you, to demonstrate not only his kingdom power through miracles, but also his kingdom values through showing the same type of love and mercy that he does in this passage. These three ostracized groups of people still exist in our culture. They had lepers. We have the homeless community. Both groups are ostracized and are pushed outside of many areas. They they had the Gentiles, we have, I believe, oppressed minorities, and anyone that I, would let, that, that I believe religious groups ostracize. They have chauvinism. We have chauvinism. Some things never change. And we as the church today need to be very careful on the us and them labels. The people that we automatically, or maybe not, I know at Red Sea, we don't confessionally label people. We don't say, you're out of the kingdom. Well, this is a place of truth, but it's also a place of grace. But functionally, I do believe that we push people out of the kingdom. Uh, and I think this passage for us as a church is incredibly timely for what's going on culturally in the U.S., whether it's the black-white conversation that we are having or whether it is the homosexual-heterosexual homosexual, conversation that we are having. Religious people, um, I do believe, functionally keep certain people out of the church and therefore ostracize them from the kingdom. Whether that is a social, socioeconomic class, the color of one's skin, or a person's sexuality. And we need to be honest here at Red Sea. We are a very white, middle class, heterosexual church. I'm not saying, and listen very clearly, that we should compromise our doctrine or our truth. We have made it very clear where we stand on these issues from a biblical perspective, from a theological perspective. But this needs to be a place of grace. And it will be a place of grace when we as a people of grace embrace relationally people who are not like us. And I am struggling with that as much as you guys are. Stepping outside of my little culturally warm blanket is difficult for me. But I believe that God is calling me to do that. And I believe he's calling all of us to do that. 
Uh, here's another a great quote that I came upon uh, in, in one of my readings this week. It was from a, a Blomberg uh, qu- uh, commentary on Matthew. This is what he said in relation to this passage. Those who deny people of certain races, classes, or creeds access to God's message and ministry in this life may find themselves excluded from his presence in the next. Jesus was willing to become unclean in order to make others clean. And the physical removal of the illness, in one sense, is less significant than the spiritual removal of the man-made distinctions that ostracize certain kinds of people from the love of God and from fellow human beings. Church, as we come and take communion today, we need to remember the grace that was given to all of us. When we did not believe, when we were apart from God because of our fallen condition, God came to us, not out of anything beautiful about us, but he came to us and he extended grace to us. We repented and we, we embraced that grace. He saw us as a sinner. He loved us and he healed us from our sickness called sin. He, Jesus, stepped out of his culturally little blanket, warm blanket, and he loved all people. He is asking you and me to extend that same message of grace and truth to everyone in his creation. I pray that we will remember that when we come to the table. As we think about the people that we ostracize, the people that we deem unworthy by our actions, are we placing a label that God has not placed on them? It is God to judge It is our job to provide truth and grace. Truth and grace, truth and grace, truth and grace. God does the filtering out of the kingdom. Let's not take that role on, okay? And I'm going to end with this. Uh, I would pray that God uh, would use us in this church in a a powerful way to heal, uh, like we've seen already, those who are sick or lame, uh, which he does. And he does that when he chooses. We don't get to control that. That is up to him. But I, listen up church, I would boldly declare that God would use us as a place to bring love to the ostracized. Just a little while ago, something happened. Love to the ostracized. Embrace the people that others don't embrace. We have to do that relationally. And it is messy, and you will feel unclean. But you're not, because God's Spirit lives inside of you, and He's working inside of you. I pray that one day, we as a church would functionally, not just confessionally, love all races, all classes, and all sexualities. And that is going to start by us extending relationship to those people. Inviting them into our home, inviting them into our home group, into our church, to our barbecues. That is how we are going to change the stigma. And it's one of the reasons God has placed us here. And it's something that we see Jesus Christ doing. And Matthew is trying to make a very clear point that we should do as a church. So I want to pray for us. I want to pray that God would give us the ability to do that. We need the Holy Spirit, let's be honest, to do this. It's incredibly hard. It's incredibly difficult for us. But I believe that one day this could be a place where all are embraced and loved 
uh, and, uh, and truth is spoken. So let's pray that God would do that among us. Join me in prayer. Uh, Father, I come before you. I thank you for your word, God. I thank you for the, uh, what we started off the Sermon on the Mount talking about uh, uh, right side up living in an upside down world. God, I admit that I have lived so long in an upside down way ostracizing people. I was raised that way, Father. I, it's comfortable for me to do that. It's comfortable for me to hang out with people who think like me, look like me, act like me, have the same values as me. But I know that has no place in your kingdom, God. And I just pray you would, you would soften my heart to your ways and you would soften the hearts of this church as a way to your ways that one day, God, my prayer to you is that this would be a place of, of, of many colors of skin, Uh, God, of people who don't even believe like we believe, but this is a place that has so much love that the people of God have actually done what you promised you would do through Abraham, that you have used us in such a powerful way to bless the world through extending the same grace that you gave us back to them, that they would feel welcome in this place, not even believing what we believe. God, give us the ability never to compromise our truth, that we would stand on the authority of the word. But we would not allow that truth to ever change our behavior and the way that we love and give grace to this culture and to this world and to one another, God. Would you do that? Would you, would you make your name great in this place, Father? I would boldly ask you to do that. Would you fill us with your Holy Spirit to do a work that only you can do, God? And would you use us for your glory and for your name, for your kingdom, that it would continue to be advanced in this place through us, your people. God, I ask that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Red Sea Church. If you would like more information about Red Sea, including more audio messages, please go to our website at www.redseachurch.org. If you would like to contact Red Sea, you can email us at info at redseachurch.org.